Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. We've been working through the series called Gracism um, by the American pastor David Anderson. This is really um, a book which is, the subtitle of it is called The Art of Inclusion. And it really paints for us a gospel-soaked vision for multicultural unity within the church. And there are many forms of unity that can actually you know, penetrate through the church walls, but we're specifically today looking at the sinful ideology um, and practice of racism and racial inequality. So racism can be defined as speaking, acting or thinking negatively about someone else based solely on that person's skin colour, ethnicity or culture. And the concept of racism is attempting to address that negative reality with the positive reality of grace. So this is the unmerited favour of God on humankind. And Anderson defines racism as the positive extension of favour on other humans based on colour, class or culture. And here we can note that favour includes the excluded and it comes from God, whereas favouritism excludes certain people and comes from humans. So that's not what we're looking for here. And the book's drawing from our passage in 1 Corinthians 12, which we've just seen in the animation, where Paul is talking to the church in Corinth about unity and diversity in the body of Christ. And specifically today, we're zooming in on um, verses 24 and 25, which say, but God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. And specifically looking at that phrase, equal concern, which also um, can literally be translated as the same care for each other. So the passage really sets up the context, which I think is important for the goal of equal concern here. So we've seen in recent weeks that this is about giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it. And that's a really important underpinning of equal concern. So it's looking to redress um, a balance where there is imbalance. So if you imagine the picture of a pair of unbalanced scales, and then imagine God is piling extra honour onto the lower side in order to get to a place where they are equal. And that's what we're going for here. So you might think, you know, things don't look hugely imbalanced to me. Well, I would just say consider um, a couple of the wider contexts that we're in. So firstly, we are a white majority church and that imbalance in itself, you know, makes it pretty likely that those who are in the minority racially are you know, more likely to maybe face more obstacles to full participation and also just feeling at home here. And, you know, there was a discussion with uh, the ethnic minority individuals at REV not long ago, including myself. Um, and it showed that, you know, sadly, in the past, that had been the case for many at times. Um, but more broadly, we're situated within a historical context as well. And shockingly, it was only two lifetimes ago that Britain outlawed the slavery of millions of black people. And those really gross racist prejudices, um, you know, they filter through history so that that ideology and its effects are actually alive in our society and its systems today. And the recent tragic events like the killing of George Floyd have really brought this to the forefront of the international dialogue and the mainstream news. But sadly, there's nothing new about it. So, you know, before we get into the meat of this, it's just just a point that, you know, it's dangerous for us to assume that we don't need to be on guard against what the enemy is using throughout the world to steal dignity, to kill God's creation and to destroy unity. Um, and if we become blind or desensitised to the racial inequality and prejudice around us, it can be easy to overlook what some within the minority are feeling 
or experiencing and maybe even to exacerbate it. Um, so today's greatest saying, which is, I will consider you, will challenge us to really actively engage with those perspectives, experiences, and the interests of those who are unlike us. So my first point is that a concerned heart moves us to engage. So what empowers us to live that life of heartfelt equal concern? Well, it's not from our own strength, but it flows from a heart that's been transformed by Jesus. And that enables us to love others rightly. And specifically, we love because he first loved us. You know, Jesus showed us compassion when we were in need by leaving his glory, you know, living, suffering and dying for us and willingly taking on our problems as his problems and rising again to set us free from the enemy of sin as we turn to him in repentance. And he did this all for us without any ethnic or racial partiality so that we could be eternally reunited to God as one people. So having received such compassion, how could that not overflow in us? He gives us his spirit now to walk in the same sacrificial love for others. And like Tom said last week in his sermon, you know, this concept of equal concern, it's not an add-on, it's actually central to who Jesus is and to who we are collectively in him. So today's Gracism chapter, it actually opens with a really vivid picture of what this equal concern looks like in action. And it really powerfully repaints the parable of the Good Samaritan as a backdrop for this current issue. And the story is from the book of Luke and it starts with an expert in the Jewish law who tested Jesus by asking a really central question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus served the same question back at the lawyer saying, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? As he was an expert. And the lawyer answered, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus basically says exactly that, do this and you will live. But then the lawyer tries to justify himself by saying, well, who is my neighbor? And his question about his neighbor suggests that he's looking to tick a box, maybe hoping that Jesus will affirm his man-made limits on the, those that he naturally feels comfortable extending his love to. So reading from Luke 10, verse 30, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And so too, a Levite, when he came to the same place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds. He poured on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey. And he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. And he said, look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. And this Samaritan is from a racial group who the Jews considered enemies. And he's the unlikely hero of the story. But what we see here is it's really the outworking of a concerned heart in how he doesn't walk away, but towards the need. And he literally goes out of his way to show mercy and generosity to help this injured and vulnerable man. And at the end of the story, Jesus says, go and do likewise. And in this book, Gracism, um, David Anderson brings this timeless story right into our context. And he says, and I'm quoting from the book here, when we encounter people from the other side, what are we to do? 
Jesus taught us to love them with an active compassion. The heart attitudes of the first two characters focused only on how to avoid the problem, while the third character engaged the problem as an opportunity to love. A concerned heart should lead to compassionate actions. And what is our heart like? So when it comes to racial injustice, you know, we can ask ourselves, do our hearts engage or avoid? Do we see those victimized minorities as our neighbors whom we're called to love as we love ourselves? And when we get the news that someone has literally been brutalized and killed on the side of the road because of their skin color, do we feel compelled to cross toward the need or like the priest and the Levite to carry on in the same direction that we were going in? And when we hear that black people in the UK are disproportionately stopped and searched, criminalized, imprisoned, uh, killed in police custody, you know, do we see it as their problem or our problem? And even in our own church, will we be a cause of healing, not harm or neglect through our interactions, our structures and our culture? So we are called to meet the needs of those unlike us, downtrodden, marginalized and those on the edges of our society. And to love God is to engage with equal concern. So my second point is that equal concern means to consider the interests of those who are unlike us. So the gracious call to engage by considering may sound a bit lacking in impact or urgency, but I think it's not to be underestimated. To have this equal concern or the same care for one another, it holds the idea of, and I'm quoting again from Anderson here, possession, possessing an anxious interest at the same level that I would have for myself or for one I love. And it's not only how we see others here that matters, it's actually how we see ourselves in relation to them. So do we recognize ourselves as mutually members in one body of Christ with fellow believers from ethnic minorities? And I think the body is such a powerful metaphor and picture of how we are to consider our relationship to those who are unlike us. Because it's not just, you know, we're not just a bunch of friendly individuals who happen to come to the same Zoom link every week um, the metaphor is actually so much stronger even than the idea of family in showing us how indivisible we are. While at the same time, um, it contains this incredible and beautiful diversity within it. So we belong to each other and we're all interreliant and interconnected to a degree that we need each other for wholeness. And going further, we can picture our unity through the way that the body works as a whole. So if you think of, you know, a hand touching a flame, and then the nervous system sends messages to the brain and throughout the whole body so that it can spring back from danger. Or think of the immune system guarding the body from attack and, attack and diverting resources to bring rapid healing and preserve life and health throughout the whole body. So it doesn't just make sense to think of any parts of the body in isolation. And in the same way, Jesus has brought us into something bigger than any one of us. So how we treat one person or group is how we treat the whole body. And that's why we must operate with loving consideration for all parts, especially those parts that have had less consideration. And it's such a profound oneness that we've been brought into. Um, John 17, 20 to 23, Jesus prays for us, you know, future believers, present believers now here today, and says um, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. And, you know, what could be more one than Jesus and the Father? 
And that is the degree to which he's calling us to be one with one another. So in all that we do, we're to grow in our consideration of the feelings, thoughts, dreams and perspectives and needs of others. So no group should be disregarded. And that requires us to be really thoughtful about the people who are most likely to be overlooked. And that can be the smallest acts of pronouncing someone's name correctly, um, to fighting side by side for change on a more systemic level. But let's consider each other's concerns as if they were our own because our interests are bound up in one another. And I think that consideration, it really requires an acknowledgement that our perspective in the body is limited and that we have blind spots. So we often don't know how our actions and decisions affect those that are unlike us or what it's like to be in their position. So considering is about asking ourselves and others questions and seeking to learn and empathize and engage from a place of compassion and humility. So here are some questions um, as a starting point for loving consideration of those that are unlike us. Who is missing from this table or conversation? Um, who has God put on my path to love as a neighbor right now? How might this decision adversely affect that group? How might this way of doing church exclude certain groups? Uh, what can I learn from that person's or group's perspective? You know, how's that person that we haven't seen in a while? Who might need extra welcoming in this situation? Where do I need to educate myself? Where do I need to seek forgiveness? Who is on the edge of this situation? Who is my joke at the expense of? And there's many other questions that um, we can engage in with a, a considerate and curious mindset, which is um, aiming to love others really well. So finally, on that point, you know, consideration is really the heart of love. So every act of love starts with consideration of the other person's interest. And that is the, that's the sweetest part of it. And many failures to love are marked by a lack of consideration of the other's interests. And that sometimes is the most painful part of it. And, you know, isn't our greatest joy that Jesus considered us and our greatest sorrow that we did not consider him. So with the Spirit's help, let's live out of this equal concern by engaging in consideration. So my third point is uh, there are two enemies to equal concern, at least two. So, so, so far we've looked at how a concerned heart is moved to engage rather than avoid and that engaging through equal concern requires us to consider those who are unlike us. And there's a couple of mentalities that David Anderson cautions that might jeopardize our multicultural unity and our consideration of others. Um, so I'm calling them, I prioritize me over you. That's the first one. And the second one is I prioritize we over you. So this first idea of me over you is this um, issue of self preoccupation. So, you know, in this individualistic culture, you know, same care, that translation of equal concern, same care doesn't quite have the same ring to it as self-care, does it? <laughs> um, and the messages that we receive, you know, are look after number one, every man for themselves, dog eat dog, and self-preoccupation just blends right in in our culture. But it should be, you know, the proverbial sore thumb of the body of Christ in that it should stand out as abnormal and symptomatic of a wrong view of ourselves and others. And as we've seen, um, as part of the body, it doesn't really make sense to think about ourselves only on an ind individual level anymore. So if we did that, it would deny and harm uh, the reality of our spiritual relationship to other believers and to Christ. 
but it's really frighteningly easy to let our own fear or prejudice or ambition or even just being really busy to occupy and max out our capacity for concern. Um, and you know, you might be thinking, well, I think my heart is in the right place, but if you knew my life, you just see things are just so hectic and I've just got very little time and headspace. And it's not, not wrong to take care of our own concerns and responsibilities. It's wise and it's godly to do so, absolutely. Um, but I think it's just about checking our hearts and staying prepared, staying humble and open for the people that God puts on our path. And anything that we have to offer is an overflow of the love that we've received from God. So it's really important that we do carve out that time to be replenished and to be loved on by God and others. Um, there's no condemnation in Christ. So in all of this, let's not react out of that and burnt out. And there's a, but there's a wisdom in being aware of the temptation for self-preoccupation at the heart level and being really practical if we don't have any margins to love our neighbours and each other. And then the second mentality we need to guard against is prioritising we over you. And this is like the us versus them mindset where we kind of see the world through this lens of the in-group and the out-group. So for me as a mixed race person, you know, these false groupings of us and them, they feel a bit like shape-shifting categories that I may or may not fit into depending on the context. And we are all multifaceted. Um, but the danger of these mental categories is it's easier to deprioritize or perhaps fail to consider those who we don't identify with. And it's not always conscious, but there can be these imaginary fault lines in our minds that can divide up the body and cut off fellow believers into the category of other. And our verse explicitly says there should be no division in the body. And now it doesn't mean that we can't acknowledge difference. You know, the whole passage is about difference without division. But yeah, equal concern is really to bring us to a place not of bland sameness, but of actually even rich diversity as we shine the light on those unconsidered parts. And sometimes our actions can reenact and reinforce those divisions that might be in our minds. So this could be really overt, such as I had an experience years ago at Rev when I was sitting with two non-white friends and a white person jokingly said, is this the brown corner? Um, but there, are, there might also be unconscious habits, like, you know, do we consistently gravitate to people like us when we're welcoming new people at church or building friendships? And we're not always aware or even intending to make others feel like them. And I've had, you know, repeating instances in life where a well-intentioned interaction has just left me feeling a little bit other or a bit novelty, such as, you know, people touching my hair or just using overly stereotypical language to try and connect with me. So let's just pause to consider if an action might make someone feel you know, uncomfortable or known only at a skin deep level. And I think here like relationships really help them become part of us. Um, sorry about the siren. Um, relationships really break down our generalizations um, and the deepening of our identification with individuals. And you know, we might make mistakes or be misunderstood, but as we build genuine loving relationships, it also gives us a context to talk and to learn and to love each other really well. And it's not about walking on eggshells. The call here is to consider as best as we can and to keep engaging in love. And, you know, we all, we all want to be known and loved at a deep level. And that, if that's what we're going for, then we'll be able to get to the other side of any blunders or miscommunication even stronger in Christ.
So just as I wrap up here, you know, let's just reflect on the fact that Jesus considered us. He chose to cross the road towards us. His heart of concern was moved to engage with our needs, even when we didn't want his help. And he empowers us to imitate him in this world. And we may feel um, on this topic just a really heavy weight of our inadequacy or apathy, pain or overwhelm. And there's really a battle to walk in the spirit and to think with the mind of Christ. And, you know, it's horrifying to recognise in ourselves where we've not had the same care or consideration for those who are unlike us. And we need to be able to admit our own failings and, you know, not spend all of our energies self-justifying because it's God who has justified us through Jesus. But as 1 John 1 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I really believe there's a gift in the beauty of repentance because we can open our hearts towards God in complete safety. We can let go of defensiveness. We can just bring our messy complexity to his feet um, without any pretense. And from that unique place of honesty and acceptance before the father, we're ready to learn and to grow beyond our comfort zones. So let us, you know, let's regularly be repenting so that we can be comforted and strengthened with a clear conscience in order to re-engage and to reconsider. So finally, you know, we can take hope in verses like Philippians 1.6, which says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So whether we need to receive that forgiveness or to offer it out to others, let's embrace the compassion of Jesus for us afresh today so that we can overflow again. And if you, if you feel for the first time that you need Jesus to cross the road for you, to heal you and to take care of you, you know, the good, good news is he's already done that by taking your place and suffering and dying instead of you. And he's just waiting for you to turn away from living your own way and turning towards his care and trusting in him. So just call out to him and he will hear you and receive you and he will consider you forever. So let's just open our heart to God in prayer now. Father God, I just thank you so much for, um, yeah, this this body that we're in, this family um, that you've brought us all into. I thank you, Jesus, that you've united us into something that is so connected and interreliant that, you know, we're just going to continue to like learn the depths of that and, and for it to be so, so wonderful in the same way that we learn more about the body and how it works. And I just pray, Father, that you would really encourage us, Lord, through your truth and through your word that we've heard today and that we are looking at in this series. Just encourage us for how much more that you have for us, Lord, that you know, as a, as a family, we love so well, but you've got even more for us. And I pray you just um, bring healing and bring, um, bring unity, Lord, where there's been division. And I pray that, yeah, we would just be so blessed by each other in all the ways that you intend for us to be, Father God. Amen.